Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins... Her aspera ad astra is over. It's tickle time. Andy, I was wondering if I'm a guy. Yeah, you know, we watch a lot of movies around these parts, and I just I'm asunder with with one sheets and tear sheets and and I don't know how to catalog all of my sticky notes of reviews that I Mm. do of the movies that I watch. What should I do? What should I do with these sticky notes, Andy? Well, Pete, we have an answer for you over at the next reel. All you need to do is go to the next slash letterboxed. That's right. Letterboxed. And you can sign up for a letterboxed 
uh, pro or patron membership at a discounted price because we love Letterboxd and they love us. And you can jump in there and start entering all those reviews into your own Letterboxd account. And you can track them and you can catalog them and you can read other people's reviews and like their reviews and comment on their reviews and they can do the same to yours. It's fantastic. Andy, I'm looking at the page right now and you know who's right on top staring at me with those cold steel ancient eyes? Max von Sydow? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, okay. As John Wick. He's getting pitted for a suit and I kind of feel like that's what I'd be getting if I were to sign up for Letterboxd. For the pro account, you can get it for $15 for one year. And if you sign up for a patron account, you get it for $39 for one year. And it even has a little note. If you go to that URL, it says, your next real discount has been applied. You may now purchase or renew if your subscription expires in the next 90 days for this renewed discounted price. It's an incredible deal. We love Letterboxd and we have all of our films in Letterboxd. So uh, hang out there with us, nextreel.com slash Letterboxd. Andy, uh, this is, there's a lot of movie in this movie. <laughs> yes, there is. Ad, ad ast, per aspera ad astra. Through the thorns to the stars. That's pretty good, right? Through the thorns. That's one that I, I feel like maybe we talked about, maybe we heard it's it's a, a lot of the translations end up with to the stars by the hard ways, which sounds like a, a sort of just transliteral of of the Latin. But uh, I like through the thorns to the stars. That's got some poetry to it. I read a bunch of them at the end of last week's episode that uh, yeah. somebody over on Letterboxd that posted in the review all the different variations of the name because there are quite a few. But I do think yeah. uh, through the th through the thorns to the stars or through adversity to the stars is another one that I I liked. Um, I think yeah, it, it, it doesn't I mean, have that. It doesn't have that Pushkin like father of of Russian literature kind of yen to it you know like it's yeah. got poetry yeah through the thorns to the stars but what i that. didn't realize is this is actually a very popular latin phrase like i just I, <laughs> right. i'd only heard i'd only right. heard the ad astra part i mean apparently i have heard it before because it's a line that has been said in films and stuff like that it's just something that i apparently um uh, miss a little bit, or they say it, and I'm not exactly sure uh, yeah, what it means. Right. But like in The Martian, the film The Martian that we talked about over in the film board, um, that is actually on the floor in some lecture hall as a part of the logo. Right. Um, it's an. It's just. It's a very common phrase. It's the motto for Starfleet, Andy. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes. It's a, it, if it's not that, it's the Morristown Beard School in Morristown, New Jersey. It's the Kansas State motto. Of course, I'm talking about Ad Astra per Aspera. They, they flip-flop it. A, yeah, a it goes bit. either way. The, yeah. the Wikipedia page is legion of, of all of the various uses of Ad Astra. And don't forget that hit film with Brad Pitt, Sad Dad Astra, uh, <laughs> which is yet another variant. I stole that from Tommy. Uh, that's uh that's i i love that joke and um yeah so this is a movie that is it puts our uh our group of spacefaring uh humans uh soviet good soviets 
flying through space. They discover a, um, a derelict spacecraft and on it, a bunch of dead clones and one that's not. And they rescue her and bring her down. And that is the start of Peraspera Ad Astra through the Thorns to the Stars. How did this movie hit you in our, in our series of, of Soviet sci-fi films? It's an interesting one. I'm glad I watched it. I don't think I liked it. I, I, I found hmm. some interesting elements within the film. The way that it was constructed sometimes just didn't work that well for me. But I enjoyed the overall vibe that the film has. So you enjoy the vibe. What is it? Can you characterize what it is you don't like about it? I just don't think the story, it just was kind of a, a little sloppy in its construction. I didn't feel it was as cohesive as it should have been. It feels very um, bifurcated in the in the sections of the film. And you, you I, might even you know, say trifurcated. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it is actually just two parts in the original edit yeah. of the film, which is two and a half hours, where it actually has part one, which is largely the story of Nia on Earth. And part two is kind of going back to her home planet and dealing with that. And it's just, uh, but I, I feel like it's, I, I didn't feel as much sense of real reason for the first half of the story, unfortunately. It just feels like, where are we going with this? Why is this, why are we in this realm for such a long time before we start exploring the second half of the story. And so I just I just felt like the story, the script writing was was clunky. It's kind of an interesting story. I thought the world was kind of an odd little weirdly retro 50s sci-fi sort of feel, even though it, it was just, uh, I think, just low-budget Russian because they didn't have the money. So I, I, I don't know. I found it to be interesting. I just didn't uh, it it didn't strike me as as successful as our last film from last week. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you, and I'm I was curious how you would characterize what where the film sort of falls apart. For me, it is a long um, sort of degradation of pace and plot and emotion from the beginning to the end. And I really like where it starts. I love that we find this this alien clone. I I love I actually really enjoy the stuff at their house. I think it's fun and funny and and um I, I think there's an interesting there's an interesting fish out of water story that they're telling there. And then it becomes it it unravels into a hyper emotional interstellar by the end where like it's just this this kind of weird environmental destruction. We're destroying the planet. Uh, kind of um, uh, just movie that's just just trying to to shake us. But I don't think the technology and the performances and certainly the costume design can live up to the the story that they wanted to tell at the end of the movie. And so it just sort of falls apart and becomes kind of ranty and uh I don't I don't like it anymore it's like I just find myself falling out of love with the movie every successive minute mm. um it it is super easy to lampoon there are a lot of fun uh like funny things that make it a great target for something like mystery science theater 3000 which is which has uh actually done a variant of this movie on it and yeah. it, in that context, this movie's low-hanging fruit, right? There are some things in here that are delightful. 
Yeah, they did a version, uh, I think it was called Humanoid Girl, which had been cut down, or Humanoid Woman, it had been cut down by almost an hour. So that leaves it, uh, depending on which cut they took it from, either an hour and a half or or, um, an hour length. So it would be a very short version. And it was dubbed in English. So I can imagine with some of the Looney Tunes-esque elements of the story and the way some of the things happen i can see it being very easy film to like you were saying to lampoon yeah yeah i think so uh and and is there any story left at that point and which story are they focusing on is it the time on earth or is it the time going back to dessa so i don't know it'd be it'd be easy to go either way (laughs) (laughs) they have to be on dessa man because when we then we get tickle time (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to kind of you know the mystery science theater was going to want to talk about tickle time <laughs> they're using tickle time for sure all right <laughs> well before we get to tickle time um <laughs> what should we talk about you know i i think it's interesting as an initial element to talk about this being part of our science fiction russian or soviet science fiction series and the idea that Soviets were using science fiction as a way to kind of get some uh, either social commentary, political commentary, or perhaps getting across some of the communist and Soviet ideologies of the time. Mm-hmm. What were you getting out of this as far as kind of the the feel for that? Did it feel like like our our filmmakers here, uh, headed by uh, Richard Viktorov, who was directing it, and Kir, uh, uh, Kir Bulichov, who wrote the original source material, do you feel like they were kind of more pro-Soviet ideology and were kind of using this to kind of promote the that kind of view of the world? Or do you feel like they were making more commentary on it? It's a little bit tricky to talk about because I, I think there are a number of things around like uh, sort of ideological integration, certainly integration of the um, of of the outsider. This is another movie that sort of leverages on some of the things we talked about last week um, with, you know, how do you how do you handle alien beings, alien creatures? Um, this is a movie that sort of celebrates that. Right. We have the benevolent scientist who brings this alien clone into his home and they sort of adopt her and teach her and she develops a relationship with his son and uh, they learn about her. It's a movie that that um, uh, focuses uh, not a little bit on uh, this, the sort of mind control, that sort of authoritarian mind control. And what can we do to free Nia from, um, you know, having this brain controlling device in her head and turning off the signal and freeing her, liberating her to live her authentic life, right? This is all stuff that is reflecting on the authoritarian in the Soviet state and uh, certainly a, a critique of it. The fact that they made the villain a capitalist little person is right in the sweet spot of right commentary, anti-Soviet commentary, right? They, that, that is a um, that is a, a sort of anathema to you know everything that they that they stood for. So I think he's definitely making some some strong critiques by just you know how he talks about some of these science fiction elements that that you 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 know with the gift of hindsight you you we we see how the the state can be sort of transposed on top of this movie and see where those critiques are. But I could totally see watching this movie in 1981 and and maybe just getting kind of lost in it right not not actually noticing uh 
some of those those more stringent critiques. I don't know what you get out of it. As I was looking at this film, I was like, I couldn't help but feel like my experience with uh, kind of that whole idea of of the propaganda of the Soviet ideologies and the the commentary of those. I, I feel like I was not as prepared for perhaps with this series as I could have been. Like as I looked at it and as I was reading, I mean, looking at the Wikipedia page about uh, Soviet Union propaganda does give me some sense of of what they were saying, why they were saying it. I mean, I know some of the basics and stuff like that, but I mean, there are a lot of elements that they're talking about. And I was like, okay, so what, I, I definitely think that the kind of the capitalist nature of, of uh, uh, the, the villain in our film was one of the elements that likely they were poking at. But also, I think the idea of allowing for kind of this, this, uh, this peace-loving view of this keeping, keeping the environment healthy and all this stuff was stuff that they were trying to promote, even the, if they weren't necessarily doing that. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that there are some interesting elements within this film that, uh, but I don't think they're very overt. You know, I, I feel like in this, in the case of this particular film, it's 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 minimal. And what's interesting, and I, maybe this is a, a good time to talk about the different edits of this film, because the longer version of this is is two and a half hours, and then the director's son. Uh, in 2001 actually restored it he redid some of the special effects remixed all the audio had some some of the original actors come back to do some adr to kind of clean up the lines and everything but he also cut 25 minutes out of the film a lot of it was to speed up the story but also it says to excise some soviet ideological context i uh i ended up watching both versions of the film side by side well, no, oh, I watched Andy. them side by side, and I would run them simultaneously, and then I would see, okay, well, this, you know, I'll, I mean, and I will say, a lot of it was just shortening of scenes. There was okay. a lot of, because, I mean, there were some scenes where, in the in the shorter version, you, it shows Naya walking up some stairs, um, like a long set of stairs, and you just catch her at the very end of it as she's getting to the top. In the long version, like you watch the entire thing of her walking from the bottom okay. all the way to the top. Like there's a lot of those little things. But uh, the context that, and I guess this was my issue, is like the, the actual conversations that they excised. In my head, I'm like, well, I didn't think that was Soviet ideologic ide- ideologies. Maybe I just missed it. And so, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the long version. It was fine. But I didn't feel like it like had a whole bunch of overt kind of promotion of anything. So I guess that's that's something that I read about. And I, it just it surprised me that I didn't think that there was that much in it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I'm I am just so peripherally a student of like that era of Soviet ideological, you know, the Soviet ideological state that that I it's hard to comment on it. There are some things that seem uh, pretty, pretty obvious. I think that the mind control chip is is the one and the fact that the entire movie like ends on the separation of these two characters, her free to live the life, at, you know, and help her people and him going back to you know wherever he's going um they they cannot end happily right they they don't end up together it's not a a relationship movie it's a service to the people 
movie. Yeah. So right. I, I think there is there's there's certainly something to the conflict that exists between recognizing that there's there might be something to this whole communist notion and the authoritarianism of the Soviet state that the filmmakers sort of exist between, right? You can feel they're sort of pulled between these these two things that that makes it a challenge, a challenge to make art about it, a challenge to think about it, talk about it, and um, and uh, move forward through it. I I found myself really kind of connecting most with the doctor in the beginning and the you know his house and and his connection to other doctor. I guess was that his wife or friend or sister or something oh yeah no his it wasn't his wife no it was just it was uh, no, another he, doctor yeah another doctor right who, ended the one who up wanted on to spaceship. do the brain yeah. work you mean yeah, yeah. Wanted to do the brain work like i the the whole like um performative aspect of intelligentsia right of the intellectual state the science state that's something that clearly is is you know celebrated by yeah. uh you know in this film and um but at the same time, they're welcoming in this alien creature, which is something that's generally not celebrated, right? It's this It's the same thing we talked about last week, right? We we fear the the aliens, and then at the end of the movie, he destroys the greatest you know uh, discovery of mankind. He destroys it in favor of the conflict that he's dealing with with the state. That's that's kind of where we where we live. It's like walking this fine line between this movie. Although, did you feel like Stepan was perhaps a representative of the Soviet ideology because he was trying to, I don't know if this is the right word, but convert her to his way of thinking by by kind of teaching her, well, this is the way, this is the way, like, um, you know, the, the way that you do things. Uh, I was thinking that maybe that's what they were saying with some of that. Well, that's kind of what I mean, though, because in the end, it ends sourly. He's trying to convert her to do these things that are good for the people. But then she goes and does it for Dessa, right? Isn't she kind of doing the same thing? Isn't she living the representative, you know, life for her people? Yeah, but I guess in my head, I was thinking maybe that's just a way to kind of, you know, say we're it's it's the spread of that ideology, right? Like they're yeah. it's not like they're not staying together. It's like now it's a proselytizing the, agent. Exactly. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Now we've made this planet clean. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Come in and <laughs> the little poltergeist lady. This planet yeah, is I clean. Was, I was just thinking this planet is clean. <laughs> Moving on. Uh yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I, I can see that. I can see that. So I, I think that's where the movie is is uh, maybe if I were a, a better student of Soviet history, it would be even more interesting to watch. I'm sure. Yeah. But even so, I thought it was. I, I thought it was a. Uh, you know, it, it's in service of the story that they're trying to tell. I thought it was interesting, even if I'm not going to go back and watch this movie again. Yeah, there were some interesting elements in the film, and it was told in an interesting way. I just, I, I wish that the script had been stronger and a little more cohesive from start to finish. Like there are cohesive elements in the first half, in the second half. I just I I wanted things to tie together more strongly. Like I didn't even realize by the time they're leaving Earth to go off, like she'd already spent a year of time on Earth. I'm like, well, what has she learned? Like I didn't feel like there had been any sense of growth for her by the time all of a sudden she was going to leave. Well, Andy, she learned Russian. <laughs> <laughs> something <laughs> yes all right she learned russian and she 
learned learned how to not be so afraid of the grass. I'm kind of surprised all of the natives of Dessa didn't teach her Rus- Russian because they speak it very well. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, a- another quick note that I thought was interesting that apparently was excised in the script. The end title in the credits uh, apparently meant to have said all the scenes of the dying planet Dessa were shot at the territory of the Soviet Union. Now, apparently that had been censored out, and I'm assuming it's because they didn't want to emphasize the fact that, like, as I was saying, they wanted to get across the idea that this was the, like they were pro nature they were pro yeah. uh taking care of the planet even if they weren't necessarily always doing that so they cut it out now in the versions that i saw both of them had at the end all the scenes of the dying planet dessa were shot uh, on the earth which takes a little bit <laughs> of of the message out um yeah. so i don't think they quite got that right still i would love to have seen it say in the soviet union as a way to kind of uh, emphasize the fact that, you know, this, yeah, we haven't done that great of a job with all of this. Well, I get that. I, I still found it kind of moving, right? I found that the planet Earth bit, since it's a movie about, you know, alien clones from another planet, um, you know, I, it, it's the, the take care of what you got. Yeah. Folks story. And, um, it's Star Trek nemesis, man. I it works. It works. It's really... just in the context of Soviet ideology, that's actually an interesting change that yes. they made. Yeah, I think so, too. But I, but it does get to the, the institutional fear of, you know, judge, external judgment. Like, you're not going to look at us and think that we've done something foolish. Everything we do will be presented brilliantly. What I love about this is, like, when I saw that that's how it was, I'm like, oh, this is like Chernobyl. Like, it's that same... <sighs> mentality that they had you know covering that did whole you thing did up. they ever make did you ever see that they, they were making a chernobyl response to the cherno hbo chernobyl that we oh, had no, and it, it was yeah that was that was the the news that came out of the russian entertainment industry and apparently the the cause of it all was an agent of the cia that was that was going to be a twist don't worry, the CIA did it. We're fine. Yeah. If it weren't for that pesky CIA. Oh, geez. That's kind of what it what this movie I, it's made me think about. Right. Like if it it's it, like at, at what point does each party take responsibility for? Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting is like it, we some of the ideological stuff, especially in the third act, is we're on Dessa. The that could have been in the annals of history will teach us nothing that could have been written in 1945 and it could have been written in 2020. Right. The way the people of Dessa do not trust science at their own peril. Right. They are they're they're poisoning their own water supply for capitalist uh, purposes. Yeah. uh, And to to prove that that, uh, you know, prove in heavy air quotes that that the foreigners are are coming in to to destroy what we've got all in an effort to you know to help to cure to cleanse right right controlling the media controlling the yeah. the word that gets out to the people about how how bad these these earth beings are and what and right. that they're really the ones who are meant uh, are coming here to destroy our way of being see here's the thing i think this movie could have been and and i guess this is to your point about watching the whole 
two-parter. I think this would have been a more successful movie if it were so, so much tighter. Had it started with the rescue of the clone and gone straight to their travel to Dessa, like compress the entire bit on the planet, on Earth, and get us to the the sort of machinations of capitalism versus, you know, socialism uh, or communism at the end, uh, in the last part of the film, that could have been a nice, tight movie, right? It could have been really fun to watch that stuff. Those were some of the mechanics that I thought started to fall apart in comparison to the to what we had in the beginning that was assured and confident and clean. And I don't think we need both of those. I think this story of Nia, you know, learning who she is and going back home can be told on the spaceship, traveling to Dessa and, and actually getting there. I think it's just too much movie. Yeah, I mean, by the time we're watching the robot cleaning up the watermelon and things like that, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is like, what is this journey that I'm on with this movie? It's just, it's going down some slow paths that aren't necessarily, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. They're, we're exploring some of the individualism and stuff, like when Nia's trying on wigs and stuff, but I'm just like, it's not getting me to the story, and right. it takes so much time. I mean, it, it was enjoyable. Watching her on Earth was kind of fun, but I'm just like, I don't know where I'm going with this, and that's what was driving me nuts with the film. Yeah, I mean, it could have been, that could have been the movie, right? It's her story integrating into, you know, modern 1981 Soviet culture, or whatever, the future yeah. Soviet culture. Uh, and it could have been kind of a the Soviet take on Bicentennial Man. You know what I mean? Like, it could have yeah. just been learning, that movie. Learning the difference between being a robot yep. or being human. Yep. Yeah. Which would have been fine, too. And that seemed to be what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, it's like she, she I, I don't know, I guess she goes to this Aztec temple. Is that where they were? I wasn't quite clear. She has like a vision of her quote dad and uh starts kind of seeing these things that bring her back to more about her people and then she she sees the uh i don't know the ambassador from dessa who's here to get help and and that Mm -hmm. kind of spurs on her stowing away on their ship and the rest of the story but it just it it i don't know i guess i just i was trying to figure out what they were doing and it just it just took a while well, and and there are some sloppy mechanics too, like around the 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 machine that controls her brain center. Yeah. Like the way I understand it, and I did not understand this when I watched the movie, but only when I read the Wikipedia summary of the film after, that it was actually the brain control device that had triggered her to teleport onto the Astra right. without uh, the space to. That was unclear watching the movie for me, and sometimes I, it. Yeah. Sh- I thought she just really wanted to go. And so like, like busted so bad. Through, yeah. Like she busted through the window and just <laughs> right. ran right over. <laughs> that was it. There are a number of those kinds of things that happen in the movie that are are sort of Deus Ex Machina, like it just happens. But clearly the intention, uh, you know, when going back to source material was that, that was that was specified. And I think some of it is uh this weird sort of retro um science fiction. Uh, fallback that we get into where they, 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 you know, do all sorts of color changes and quick edits and flashes to other times and things that we're supposed to interpret as this is being done by this machine. But in fact, it, it does not telegraph that way on on screen. It doesn't work. It's I mean, I really appreciate that they were working with the budget they had. It was a little odd to see a 1980 
movie that felt like 40s or 50s sci-fi. Yeah. Like, it just felt so weirdly dated. Like, the robot was so clearly a person in a costume with, like, <laughs> human... amazing. Or, I was like, wow, what are we doing here? It was so peculiar. But I really did enjoy it. But because it, at times it felt like it was almost designed for kids. Like, yeah. the way she would, as she ran through glass, which happened several times, she would... It was a cartoon cutout of her body yeah. in the glass... <laughs> When she goes through it, and I'm like, "That's what? What is? What are they doing with this? It was so strange. That was amazing. And at the same time, it falls back on these like just incredible Soviet ideological stalwarts. This is a movie about class oppression and economic exploitation. And the end of the movie, there is a bad guy, and he's a capitalist, money grubbing, oxygen dealer, and he's he's gross, and also incredibly ticklish you have we have to talk about the tickle i just tickle part. when i saw this happen i just was wondering like how many times could heroes in other films have defeated the villain if only they had tried tickling like james bond never has tried tickling any of his villains maybe he could have stopped them much earlier in the film likewise maybe the avengers just needed to tickle thanos and that would have stopped him from the snap like you've it's got to ask yourself now it's entirely was Hans possible Gruber ticklish it was right was who else darth vader ticklish <laughs> the emperor ticklish there's clearly something missing from <laughs> from this cinema. is a sequence that that happens uh it happens quickly the scientist is uh is there is a confrontation yeah. with the capitalist bad the guy talks yeah the turin chalks yeah, yeah it's it's the ambassador right ambassador rakan right. yes is, uh is confronting turin chalks and <laughs> I, gives him a I told you i told you i asked you did you get to the tickle part and you said no <laughs> and that delights me <laughs> yeah i just i really you said that and i was yeah. like convinced that it was something that happened earlier in the film that you mistook for tickling because so many kind of odd relationship or kind of getting together moments happen early in the film while while yeah. nia is at uh lebedev's uh, house right. right and so i was like oh maybe there was something in there that he mistook for tickling but no rakan when he's confronting the villain of the film toward the climax he gives him a tickle and that's pretty much it until uh Turin Chox has his his goon stab rakan in yeah. the back and, but they uh, say it out loud and that's the part oh, you're ticklish <laughs> and Turinchox rolls his head back and gives just this deep open mouth laugh at how ticklish she is and this is the climax of the battle between the good guy and the bad guy and it's a tickle fight and it's amazing <laughs> like I cannot underscore how awesome this like 15 seconds of film is in this whole movie <laughs> well and it's emphasized not to, I, I don't want to I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to diminish. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't Go ahead, I Andy. Diminish. Whatever. No, it's just, you know, Turinchox is also a dwarf. He's very short. And you don't realize this until at one point when he decides to confront Rakan, he jumps up from behind his desk onto his desk and he's still yeah. shorter than Rakan. And Rakan kind of takes a step back and looks at him like, oh, I had no idea. And so it was that moment that preceded the tickling that I, it's just like, 
all of that kind of came at one time. And it was just, it was, it's like, it's you know, it's like the throwing the dwarf scene in yeah. Lord of the Rings. It's, it's like yeah. very peculiar. Well, it is. And it, it goes back to that. Um, there is, I, I think, a, a a Soviet, like this, this fits as part of the Soviet fear of the unknown and the different. And like, it's, it's, I don't, I don't think that, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s Soviet Union was a great place for little people, right? Anybody with any sort of of physical difference um, was misunderstood. And that's kind of what you see in this movie. And when he jumps up on the desk and says, you haven't seen me before, have you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's recognizing that there's this shock and he's wielding it. He's using it. Yeah. Um, And and you can tell that's kind of part of his part of his power is that that he is misunderstood constantly. Right, right. right. And, and that's what I'm, what I'm sort of sucking out of, of the, the heart of this movie as I watch it, because w- the way it's displayed on film is funny. But I don't, I don't think they intended it to be funny. I certainly don't think it was meant as a comic moment in the, the source material. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. I mean, I know Kir Bulyachev... The uh, the author of this uh, script has, I mean, he's a very, uh, very popular Soviet Russian uh, sci-fi writer, writer yeah. uh, who has done, I think, I think he's had more projects uh, adapted for film, TV, or animation uh, more than any other Russian sci-fi author. And I, I in, in fact, he, I mean, he, he's, a lot of stuff that he's written has been um children like he has this whole children's science fiction series called Elisa Selizneva which um apparently is hugely popular so i can't help but feel like some of his the tone that he would write i don't think that they specifically intended this to be a science fiction film for children but i can't help but feel like some of his the way that he approached things have that feel to them just mm-hmm. by nature. And so it just when you when you get to the bad guy and you tickle him, the cartoon cutouts, a lot of these elements just feel something that you would get in a film that's more aimed at children. Yeah, you definitely do. I I was looking for cuz this was based on his book. Uh right, he he adapted his own book, I think. He 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 wrote the script. It, from what I read, it was actually not a book that he wrote, but it was oh. uh, an original script that he wrote. Okay. But it was, that but it was, was unclear his script. to me. Uh, yeah, it was unclear to me too because I kept looking, trying to find it. But everything, that yeah, I, I can't. I find a lot of his stuff in Amazon that you can get. Some of it's, you know, some uh, apparently good translations. Red Star Tales, uh, collected works, Earth and Elsewhere, Best of Soviet Science Fiction, uh, Roadside Picnic. Oh, that's yeah. a Strugatsky uh, bit. But anyway, there are some some good compilations with some of his material in there i haven't read any of his stuff so it's it's hard to say but i would love to this is one of those stories that because of the way this movie was treated i think i would like to to see it i would like to read it and and kind of explore what his intention was it'd be uh, something curious for sure yeah yeah i did like the way they did some of the science uh, they the kind of the 
the special effects throughout the film. I thought that was kind of interesting, especially as it comes to Nia and her powers. Like there was a scene earlier on when she's terrified of walking across the grass and it's almost like this semi-levitated run that she has over the grass, which was kind of really clever the way they handled that. Also remind reminiscent of the way the aliens skimmed across the ground at the end of, of a dead mountaineer. Right. Yeah, exactly. The way that she freezes the watermelon in front of her and then blows it up, like I already brought up the cartoon cutouts. Uh, She teleports, which is kind of handled interestingly. She pushes that guy away when he comes up and touches her. There was just a lot of really interesting elements that she did that I thought were interesting, the way that they handled creating those moments. What'd you think of the blob? The blob was, okay, so the biomass, the whole thing at the end, I found that to be very... It was an interesting element that they added. I just don't think it ever worked quite right for me. I actually loved the look of it. The fact that they had some people in it, like reaching out these these arms clearly in like yeah. some sort of a sleeve sort of thing, made it look really creepy. And I thought it actually God, I thought was, it was great. Yeah, it was yes. very effective. But I didn't fully understand it because, okay, so here's my recollection of the scene when we have Rakan after he's been stabbed he has this vision of himself with um with the father whatever his name was who uh glan it was glan right mm-hmm. who shows him where it is and my recollection is glan is like all it needs is a brain you know it needs to have a brain introduced to it so that it can it, it can become more, uh, become what I wanted to, or whatever it was. And so I, my impression, and maybe I just misunderstood, but I thought that Rakan was like throwing himself into it to give it the brain that it needed so that it could kind of move on to its next phase and uh, kind of help save the world. And I, I guess I was confused as to why all of a sudden it just goes mad and starts like destroying everything and, and, and eating everybody. I just didn't understand any of that. Yeah, I I didn't either. And I that's exactly the story I wanted. Yeah, I wanted him to sacrifice himself and become that. Or alternately, there is a, a, you know, a horizon out there where it actually grabs Turin shocks and becomes the the, sort of maniacal uh, planet destroying thing. Either way, the biomass to me was supposed to be the Genesis device, right? It was supposed to be the cleansing agent. Yeah, right. Right. And uh, it and it never played out quite right. First, it just absorbs everyone in its path. It yep. does break the connection, apparently, once and for all for Nia, making her that complete individual. Yeah. So she reaches her fullest form. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we don't actually get any sort of rewarding display of a fixed planet, right? We, we know it's out there, but, you know, we, we have only that, that last little bit where they show the blue sky and that's their experimental area. But then this biomass goes crazy. And is the planet really fixed? I was never convinced that they actually finished, solved the problem. I I didn't, that wasn't clear to me. I I thought, I I guess I thought it was more clear. It was just weird the way that it worked because she holds it back, but then everybody kind of contributes. And it's, it's almost like, okay, what are they doing? Are they molding the biomass? Mm -hmm. Because it seems like everybody's kind of reaching in and they push it in. And form it into a ball, which I was like, okay, is that representative of the world? And now it's healthy because all of a sudden it's just gone. And now because they show the ground and you see lots of little baby trees sprouting up. That's true. 
and so that's like, okay, so they, they healed the planet and now it's growing things again. The sky is blue. We're back to normal, but it was... And Nia's home, where she belongs, right. with her people. Yeah. And her people are somehow mended. They're fixed. Uh, yeah. I guess. Uh, right? I mean, I guess. Because there were there were an awful lot of people who had, you know, horrific deformities, right? And they're wearing all those funky masks. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that was... That was just an uncertain display for me. I, I feel like there were a lot of elements that were going in there. And I guess I, I, uh, you're right uh, in retrospect. I, I guess the planet was fixed. And, yeah, or at yeah. least it was in a position to begin growth anew. Yeah, I felt like it was the cleansing rain at the end of Lion King, right? Like they, they got <laughs> yes, rid of that's exactly they it. got rid of the blob. The blob helped heal the yeah. planet. And now the sky is clear and there's growth coming out of the ground again. And right, right. Everything is hunky-dory. I think it was just they they suffered from low budget special effects. They had to do all this with what they had. And so yeah. to that end, it's just, you know, we're ending up having to put a lot of interpretation into what we're seeing. And it just makes it a little a little more challenging trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think it yep. works. It's just it's just rough. You do, I don't think you said what do you have a preference over which version of the movies you watched? You know, I, I mean, I definitely do agree that the newer version the sound mix is cleaner like they the the new music mix and everything it sounds nice but honestly like the old version also looks really crisp and clean the effects maybe aren't quite as nice but honestly it still looks really good i thought they did a great job with it and i think if i were to watch it again i would just stick with the longer one you know it had more moments of just allowing the scenes to be um that i i think that i know they shortened a lot of those scenes but in doing so i don't think it helped make it feel faster i just you know i just i i think that i'd probably just stick with the longer one uh well i i only watched the the shorter one and um i i don't have the benefit of that both of the versions are available on youtube again thank you uncertain copyright jurisdiction um, <laughs> right and they don't appear to be going anywhere so uh, if you're interested we'll put links to both in the show notes yeah anybody else you want to talk about i will just say i really liked yelena met yes who played nia i thought she had a great great face to be an alien or a clone or either. she you know what i felt like like she was the inspiration for Alita Battle Angel character design. You know what I mean? Like her face was just so wide and like big and in in its neutral expression, there was so much expression. There yeah. was just so much to her not doing anything. Right, right. I loved it. With those yeah. dark, like just the the bags under her eyes, just kind of giving yeah. her that that tired look with the the white wig. That seemed to be, well, it, white hair, I should say, but it seemed to be a wig, I guess, because yeah. you see her putting that same wig piece on an infant with her dad at one point. Like the Lego hair. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is that strange little thing? I don't know. I but I loved the great. way that she, I loved the way she reacted. Like she felt like an alien, like she, the way that she would push at things to like, you know, push away things like with two hands in front kind of crossed and stuff like she did some yes. really cool things that just felt very unique and i uh i just really liked her as the lead of this film i just thought she carried it really well yeah me too and i'll say i liked vladimir fyodorov who played turin i thought he was a great villain yeah 
He was great. And I, you know, I think I actually think everybody was uh, in here. I didn't have any performance in here that I, I thought came up short, you know, from no, yeah. uh, Lebedev, who I, I mean, it's just there's to it's hard to watch this movie and not find the comparisons to Star Trek. Right. I mean, I, I just like the the way the ship moves through, um, you know, uh, through space and the, the father son kind of parallel uh you know the to kirk and david and I, it's just there are a lot of of parallels that are that are sort of unfolding in this movie but yeah. it, in each of those sort of stereotype roles i think everybody did great and i actually i i didn't like uh step on levitev when we started but by the end of the movie i actually really had come to to like him and and uh, appreciate kind of his relationship with with her i thought that diving scene was sort of interminable like i I needed. I didn't understand all the mechanics that were going on there that were between the relationships, and I just found them all, everyone, annoying. <laughs> piece. Uh, but but it's it it moved positively from there. Yeah, I, I mean there were it it has its issues. I mean it really does have them mm-hmm. throughout, but uh, largely I found it to be interesting. I, I will say the music, Alexei uh, Rabinikov, I mm-hmm. thought. I just I really enjoyed the music in the film. It had a a great kind of eighties sci fi vibe that worked exceptionally for me. I uh, looking at our notes here. I just want to highlight that we uh, will not be talking about facts and or tidbits, sequels and or remakes, awards or numbers <laughs> because you have written in that really just perfect Andy Nelson brevity. No to every one of them. <laughs> That's right. No, no, I no, like no. I was being, like I would be punished if I had you walk through each one. There's nothing, nowhere, anyhow, moving on. That's right. I'd love to have information about any of yeah. that stuff, but uh, alas, uh, I do I'm not. Still, I, I'm still glad we watched this movie. It was not oh, the yeah. greatest movie. It's not a five star and a heart for me, uh, but... But I'm really glad we watched it, and I think we should. Uh, I think we should take it to the mat. I think we should head over to flickchart.com/slash/thenextreel. You'll see all the movies we've ever talked about on this very show. Uh, but if you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flickchart, it'll take you straight to this movie, where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. Okay, first up, we have to the stars by Hard Ways or La Caja Fall. Uh, La Caja Fall. La Caja Fall. To the stars by Hardways are Stripes. I'd like you to go first. I'll say Stripes. Yes, you will. Thank you. <laughs> to the stars by Hardways or Gone with the Wind. I, I'm going to go to the stars. I got to go Gone with the Wind. It's a problematic film, but I just think that there's. I'll, I'll give it to you, but yeah. I my the record is. I know the record is recorded. I know. There to the go. stars by Hardways are next Friday. Oh, man. I'm going to say to the stars here. Yeah, I would to the stars. To the stars or or the blob. We didn't even talk about the octopus person. I know. Oh, Andy. Okay, table that for a second. I I love that octopus guy. You're the blob. I'm the blob. Yeah. Yeah. To the stars by hard ways or the Andromeda strain. The Andromeda strain. Talk about retro. To the Stars by Hard Ways or Cries and Whispers. Cries and Whispers. I'll take Cries and Whispers. To the Stars by Hard Ways or Underworld Awakening. Underworld Awakening. Yeah. Underworld <laughs> Awakening. That's To the Stars by Hard Ways or Friday After Next. 
Uh, Friday after next. We'll take Friday after next. Well, that lands it in spot 457. 457 on our chart out of 487. Pretty low. That's only a 6%. 6%. Andy. I know. Uh, how to do on your list? Did it crest 6%? Well, Pete, it landed in spot 3969 on my chart, 3969 out of 4,541 movies, which is about a 13%, a little bit higher. All right. 13%, a little higher. I actually was higher than that. I came out at uh, 1,075 out of 1,483. That's one and a half stars, or 28%. Uh, if I go over to letterbox.com slash the next reel, yeah, one and a half stars feels about right to me. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's not a zero half star, one star no, movie. No, no. I think there are some no. things inter- interesting in it. I, I actually question if I could go to two stars. I'm at two stars. I think are there's you? enough interesting stuff in here to think about, to talk about, to enjoy. I think there are some really interesting elements in the film. It's just a, it's, it's sloppily constructed, but I did find it to be uh, enjoyable. I was never bored. Um, it's just it's just a, a little bit of a mess. But as yeah. like there are all, so many enjoyable pieces. So two stars, no hard for me, but two stars. You know, I'm okay with that. Let's just do two stars straight across the board. I'm not going to watch it again. I didn't love it. I had a good time watching it. And I think there's enough in here that you can watch it without making fun of it if you want to. Here, here. That should have been on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> you could watch this without making fun of it if you want to, Pete. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, nice work. So this is the this was the the middle of our uh, Soviet science fiction series. Where do we go from here? We're going to be jumping forward a few years to a film from 1988 called City Zero, directed by Karen Shaknazarov, which is another one that I've never heard of. But I'm also curious to look at this one, especially now that it's 1988 and it's getting right to the very end of everything going on in the Soviet regime. I think there's there's some stuff. I think there's some stuff to talk about with this movie. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm excited to do so. Well, I'll tell you, I already have my Letterboxd review picked out for City Zero, so I'm ready to go <laughs> on that ahead. one. I'm ready to go on that one. <laughs> but until then, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. It really does. And that's, you can see something is different. Maybe, maybe we're going to be over here in Letterboxd for a little while. Maybe we're, maybe we're doing that. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I actually, so my, it was one and a half stars. I ended up with an unstarred review on Letterboxd that it, that, but, but I pick it. Because it seems to be tonally positive, and it brings up yet another thing we did not talk about in our review. Okay, All exciting. Right. Uh, would you Would you like to go first? You go uh, high sure. or low? I, I went okay. to three and a half stars, so a little higher right in the middle. A little okay. higher. A little yeah. higher. Mine was by Ashton Kinley, uh, a recent watch from uh, earlier, from about a year ago who watched it as part of a Soviet sci-fi double feature at the Canadian Center for Architecture. There you go. 
As you do. Ashton says, this two-hour and 40-minute epic is full of some of the oddest moments on film that I have ever seen. And I've seen cats. There's Glasha, <laughs> the bulky house, household robot maid, who also plays tennis. There's Krull, the octopus-like creature who is deathly afraid of cats and love, loves bubblegum and gets unceremoniously tossed into his home planet's ocean in one of the funniest scenes of the film. <laughs> and most importantly, there's Nia, the Sinead O'Connor-esque clone, who is literally so iconic that every single person she encounters is willing to put their life on the line for her. It's truly a remarkably bizarre film, but a blast to see with a crowd. Yeah, I get I can get that. I, yeah. I think this might be it's weird that we might come to this movie as the reason that movie theaters should stay in business. <laughs> right. Sorry, Tenet. You just didn't have what to the stars by Hardways had. I uh, my review comes from meme who says there's a lot going on that was pretty unnecessary. And I know I was watching with terrible translation and all, but it was somewhat enjoyable because the plot and conflicts were actually interesting and intense. I enjoyed all the characters, except the octopus. Like, what was even the purpose? But my favorite had to be unexplained spaceship kitty. Mm. <laughs> There's a cat on the ship. I love Who that. You kind of get to gum. it. And we didn't talk about the, <laughs> the, the octopus, but that review nailed it. One of the funniest scenes in the movie. So weird. Throwing the octopus overboard. <laughs> and what was he making? Like, it's meal. Just like he'd crack the egg and pour it in and then drop the shells in. Too. Drop the shell <laughs> in and stir it up. <laughs> okay. Oh, good times. Thanks, Letterbox. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. All right, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season 10, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. 10 seasons of this. I should be a pro by now. First up, David Fincher. This was a member bonus. Gone Girl. Aquatic Killers. Mm, certainly not Tentacles. <laughs> oh, In the Heart of the Sea. Nice. Here's another member bonus. John le Carre. Ah. Uh... Uh, the Russia House. Oh, I love that score so much. Here's a tough one. Soviet science fiction. Ooh, uh, I have no idea. All of them? Not quite. Just Dead Mountaineers Hotel. Awesome. We've covered lots of great movies that started out as books, plays, even comics. Sources like Ivanhoe, Conan the Barbarian, Eight Billion Ways to Die, The Hot Rock, Born on the Fourth of July. American Psycho, The Shawshank Redemption. The Green Mile, The Mist, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them, so now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out 
and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Thank you.